Let's pray. Lord, as we come into your presence this morning, Father, I pray that you would search our hearts by your spirit. Lord, show us if there's anything that's not pleasing to you, Lord. If there's anything we have against a brother, Father, just point out anything that we need to ask your forgiveness for, Father, because we don't want anything to hinder what you are going to speak to our hearts, Lord. We want to receive everything you have for us today. We pray that you would open the eyes of our heart. Uh, just give us revelation this morning as we look into your word. We pray extra anointing on Pastor Larry as he brings your word of life to us. So, Lord, let's just throw off everything else, Father. By your spirit, help us worship you in spirit and truth this morning. We praise you and we worship you and we lift you up because you are worthy. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see. Awesome creation. 
Yeah. 
chapter 2 where John writes and he says my little children I write unto you that you sin not but if you do sin you have an advocate you have a defense attorney you have one who goes before the father on your behalf my one defense my one defense is the fact that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the father and he intercedes, that is, he goes before, he goes between the Father and I. We deserve righteous judgment, do we not? Do we not deserve righteous judgment? We do. By all rights, God could punish us, throw us out, actually kill us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. By all rights, he could kill us, but he doesn't because we have an advocate that goes before the Father on our behalf. My one defense. My one defense. And the second one is, not only is he my one defense, but he is my righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He that knew no sin became sin for me, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. My one defense, my righteousness, Lord, how I need You. Father, we come to You today and we thank You for the promises in Your Word that are so real and so vital and so true today, as true as when those words were penned and put on paper and sent out to the churches around the world. Thank you for preserving them and making them available to us. Your word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. When we follow your word, no matter what the circumstances are, when we follow your word, we will always end up where we should be because your word is always true. And so, Father, today we just 
we just thank you and praise you for your goodness to us, for your blessings. We have much to be thankful for. And Lord, by request, Father, I just want to I just want to pray for the two friends of Ray that just found out this week that they have cancer. Father, we know cancer is a horrible thing. It takes so many lives every year. We know cancer is not from you. Every good and every perfect gift comes from you. But we live in a fallen world. And when we fell, sin and sickness came in. And then, Lord, you had to make the proclamation, I am the Lord God who heals you. And so, Lord, for, for those who are suffering, not just from cancer, but those of our friends and our loved ones and people, just people that we know, they're going through really hard and difficult times right now. We just pray for them. Ask, Father, that by your mercy and your grace, you would lift them up and minister to them this very day by your Holy Spirit. And as we continue here and we worship you by giving to you, Father, we worship you by giving because in giving we say to you, we trust you. We trust your promises that say that, we're, that you will meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory. So we gladly and cheerfully and generously give into your kingdom because we want to see your kingdom grow. In Jesus' name, amen. in Advent. Of course, as you see, we had uh, a lot of little elves running around here yesterday decorating the church and pulling things out of the attic and out of the storage shed and so forth. And so uh, today is the first Sunday in Advent, and I would like, uh, I don't, I only see one kid. Where did all the kids go? You bailed? Jacob, is there anybody else out there? Bring them in. 
There you go. I like the way that sounded. Everybody in here. Not only in here, but up here. Come on. Come on. Oh, we're going to go and start acting shy. Come on. It's not an act. <laughs> uh, come on, Malcolm. Come on. You're going to miss out. Come on. Have a seat. Oh, have a seat. Well, we just had Thanksgiving. What comes next? Christmas. Are you guys excited? <laughs> wow. Are you guys excited about Christmas? Well, this Advent's going nowhere. Okay. If it wasn't so funny, it'd be sad. Come on, I know you guys are, I know, I know you're excited about Christmas, aren't you? Are, are you afraid to act excited? What, what are you, you going to do on, on, on Sunday morning, okay, on Sunday morning, Christmas is on a Sunday this year, okay, so you won't be coming to church, okay, so when you wake up in the morning, what are you going to do? You just kind of get up, make yourself a cup of coffee? Or are you going to run into your mom and dad's room and shake them and say, get out of bed, I want to open my gifts? I didn't say that was what Christmas is about. I'm saying, is that what you're going to... Is that what you're going to do? Okay, is that what you're going to... Come on, don't... Don't you try to get spiritual on me, Jacob. What? There's a, chance that, there's a chance that you guys will wake your parents up and, and, and get ready to open, open gifts and everything? Okay. All right. What are, you, what, are you, uh, what are you hoping for this time? What are you hoping, what are you hoping to get? Come, hey, now's your chance. Now's your chance to make it known. Because we're in church and your parents are here and they're going to hear what you have to say. And they're obligated under God to get you. Okay? So here's your shot, man. Dream big is what I'm telling you. Okay. All right. For YouTube. For YouTube? Okay. All right. Jacob? Whatever I get. Oh. Okay. All right. Lump of coal for this boy, I'm telling you. Lump of coal. Okay. How about you, Zach? Uh, probably a new computer. A new computer? All right. Um, perfume, makeup, and merchandise. Perfume, makeup, and... A true princess. What about you, what about you, Luke? What do you want? Well, I have two things that I want for Christmas. Okay. It's like a, a Lego set that I really wanted because Robert's 
drawers and Okay, a Lego set. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's another thing that I like, but I don't know the name. So. You don't know the name of it? Okay. I did. Is it a Corvette? No. Oh. <laughs> How about you, Jasmine? Um, a new drawing book. A new drawing book. Okay. Patty. A volleyball and a new mannequin head. Okay. So you can do her hair. Yeah, I knew what you meant, honey. I just... <laughs> you can do my hair. I know. Oh. Uh, Faith? I'm sorry. A camera for photography. A camera for photography. Okay. All right. Good. Good. All right. Well, listen, today's, today's uh, Advent subject is, is hope. Okay. Now, y'all are hoping that you, you know, that you get what you ask for, okay? And I kind of made a joke about, you know, since you said it in church, your parents are obligated under God to give it to you. And, and that's true. <clears throat> no, no, it's not. Uh, but anyway, um, the idea here is that long ago, God made promises to, to the people of Israel. He made, he made them promises, and, and two of those promises, one of them is found in, in Jeremiah, and I don't know which one Tim has up first, but um, th- they are found in, in Jeremiah. One's found in Jeremiah, and it says, Behold, the days come, saith Jehovah, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute judges, justice and righteousness in the land. So what God was promising the, the people of Israel is, I'm going to send somebody who's going to rule over you, and he's going, to be, he's going to do it the right way. He's going to be kind to you. He's going to be wise. He's going to be just. not going to be unfair. And so the people begin to think about, oh, I can't wait until this, this person arrives. I can't wait. And then later in Isaiah, he said, he said the following words, and there shall come forth a shoot out of the stock of Jesse, and a branch out of his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of Jehovah shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of Jehovah. And his delight shall be in the fear of Jehovah, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither decide after the hearing of his ears. He's going to do whatever is good and right. The people can't wait for this person to arrive. They don't know who he's going to be. They don't have any idea what he's going to look like. They, don't, they just know that they can't wait for this, pers- for this person, whoever he is, to show up on the scene. And so our lesson today is about, about hope. The people began to hope in the promises of God. Okay? They began to hope in the promises of God. Now, you are hoping for certain gifts. And maybe, that, maybe your mom and dad will be able to give you those gifts and maybe they won't. Um, If they aren't able to give you those gifts, it doesn't mean that they don't love you. It just means that they didn't, maybe they didn't think that you were ready for that yet. I don't know. But God, when he gives a gift, it's a perfect gift. He gives it, and there's nothing ever wrong with it. Now, are we hoping that Jesus will come? Well, he already did come, didn't he? 
Is he going to come again? Oh, so maybe we should hope for his second coming. Why? Because in John chapter 14, listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come again. And will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. So, as the people in the Old Testament were preparing for the coming of Jesus the first time, even though they didn't know who he he was or what he looked like. We know who Jesus is, don't we? Okay, we know who he is. We need to be preparing our hearts. Okay, we need to be preparing our hearts because the Bible says that we look forward to the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So our lesson today is on hope. Not that we hope, oh I, oh, I hope I get a camera. Oh, I hope I get a new computer. Oh, I hope I get perfume. Oh, I hope I get a new drawing book on a Lego set and a mannequin head. Oh, I hope I get those things. This is, this is what we can really depend on and we say, my hope My hope lies in the fact that I know Jesus is coming back again. And I'm going to prepare my heart for when he does come again. We have lit, or Lonnie has has, uh, lit the candle of hope. The first candle. The candle of hope. Okay? All right, guys. See you next week. Okay? Scoot, Lego man. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we're just thankful for your goodness to us, your blessings. Now, Lord, I just pray that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say in your word. We we thank you that you have given us your word and in it lies our rule for faith and conduct. It has the answer for everything that we need. May you take the word today and burn it into our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We could talk uh, today, uh, in, our, in our lesson today, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. We, we started in Ephesians chapter 2 two weeks ago when I, when I was here. And today we are going to, as we get into the second part of Ephesians 2, um, I'm re- it's, it's so apropos for today. We just came through one of the most contentious times that I remember. I, I mean, being in my late 60s, I remember the, uh, the election of 1960 with John Kennedy and Richard Nixon. <laughs> and, and I remember 
you know, some of the other elections and everything. I, I cannot remember a time when our nation was so divided and everything was so contentious as what we came through in, in this last, uh, in this last uh, year and a half or so. And because of some things that, that people have said and, and, and some of the things that just have gone back and forth, there's just been this real, uh, a lot of accusations about, about racism and so forth that are, that are going on in our country. And we can't deny that there is, that there is some of that going on. I, I'm not here to, to, to deny that. But in Ephesians chapter 2, God is, speaks about racism, not between black and white, but he speaks about it between Jew and Gentile. But it was nevertheless racism, no matter how you want to slice it, it was still racism. And the interesting thing about this, this passage of Scripture is that, that Paul talks about how Jesus breaks down and does away with that, that kind of racism, that racism that was between Jew and Gentile. Now, if we, we read further into the Scriptures, we find that, that Jesus has annihilated all racism, all between, between black and white, between yellow and brown, between you know, red and white, and no matter what it is, he's, he's, he has done away with it in what he did on the cross. Now, the only way that that gets changed is when the heart and the mind of the individual is changed. Okay? That's the only way that gets changed. People say, well, we just need more education. No, 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 no. What we need is more heart change. Heart changes things. And we'll get, we'll get into that a little bit as we go along. But I want you to see this. So we begin in Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to bring your mind back to where we were last, two weeks ago. Because Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, as for you... He's talking about all of us. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Did you get that? You were dead in your transgressions and sin. You were dead. Okay? But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And then he goes on to say, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So the idea here is that there was a, there was a, a wall. There's a song. Um, there's a song that goes, uh, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Okay? And so here is this, this division that was between us and God. We were separated from God. We were dead in trespasses and sin. As a matter of fact, Paul writes in there and says, we were objects of wrath. And I explained to you two weeks ago what that meant to be an object of wrath. 
And when Jesus died on the cross, He he broke down that barrier. He filled in the gap that was between Him and us and made it possible for us to have a relationship with Him. He not, on, not only were we dead in trespass and sin, but the Bible says here that He made us alive in Christ. We are now alive in Him. And so that this division, this dividing wall, if you will, between God and man was broken down by the Lord Jesus Christ. That which kept us from having a relationship with Him, that which kept us as objects of wrath has now been removed. So by faith, we're no longer objects of wrath, but we actually belong to the family of God. Okay? That's the first part of chapter 2. The second part of chapter 2 begins here. And it says this, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Now I want you to understand that when a, when a Jewish person used the term uncircumcised, it was a form of derision. It was a form of condemnation. It was a looking down their nose. There was contempt in their voice. Because they, they looked down on everyone else. Because everyone other than Jewish people were Gentiles. And so they looked... See, God had, God had chosen Abraham... And God had chosen to make him a great nation. And we look, we look back at that and we go, well, why did God do that? And, and the reason that God did it was because he wanted to. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, God makes a statement to the Jewish people and says, you want to know why I did what I did? I didn't pick you because you were the greatest nation. I didn't pick you because you were the best nation. I didn't pick you because you were the holiest nation. I picked you because I wanted you. I wanted you to be my nation, and I wanted to be your God, and I wanted you to be my people. It was a profound act of grace on God's part to choose to make the Jewish people His his nation. He made a covenant with Abraham. You can read about it in the 15th chapter of Genesis where God literally passes between the the pieces of dead animal and calls down upon Himself and says to Abraham, if I ever break this covenant with you, may, may what happened to these animals happen to me. The God of the universe, the Creator of all things, the One who has always existed, said that to Abraham. And then He said to Abraham, I, wanna, I want to give you a reminder of my covenant. And I, as we've talked so many times about what it means to be in covenant with someone, that oftentimes when they were in covenant with one another, they would cut themselves, not, not in an act of brutality or self-mutilation, uh, but then they would, in that cut, they would rub dirt in it. And then it would heal and there would be a dark mark on their arm, and and they would look at that dark mark on their arm, and they would be reminded that they were in covenant with someone. And I explained to you that that's 
kind of what a, a, a wedding band is. You remember just a week or so ago, we talked about that. So what a wedding band is. You look at your wedding band and you're reminded you're in covenant with someone. And it's not the ring that keeps you in covenant. It's the, it's the determination to keep the covenant that keeps you in covenant. And so God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a mark in your body. And that mark in your body is going to be a reminder to you that you are in covenant with me and I am in covenant with you. You are my people and I'm your God. And so God instituted the rite of circumcision. No one else was practicing that. And so that mark in the body of, the, of, the, of all the males in in Israel was, was a constant reminder. Each time a male child was born, after eight days they would, they would go before the priest and they would be circumcised. That was, that was the ritual. And the ritual was there to remind the people every time that happened, we are in covenant with the everlasting God. That's pretty heady stuff, isn't it? I mean, imagine... Now, what's God done for us? Well, the Bible says that He's he's put a mark in us too, right? The Holy Spirit. He said, you have been given a mark. You have been marked in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells within you. That's the mark that we are in covenant with God. If we weren't in covenant with God, He wouldn't give us His Spirit. But the Spirit is our mark that we're in covenant. But that's pretty heady stuff. So these people are growing up and they're knowing we're God's people. (laughs) We are God's people. And before long, oh, oh, you're, well, we're the circumcised. And you're not. And And the idea of Referring to someone as uncircumcised became a sign of contempt. Oh, well, we're, we're God's people. You're not. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves circumcision, called us circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. That's where you were, Gentiles. That's what, that's what your lot in life was. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in His flesh the law with its commands and regulations. He has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. What Paul was referring to, here is a replica of the temple that Herod built. There's a replica of the temple that Herod built. 
when, when Herod built the temple, he put that, that, those balustrades all around the outside of the, the outer court. That became known as Solomon's colonnade or Solomon's porch. And you can read about Solomon's porch at three different places. One place is where Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus was walking in Solomon's colonnade. He was just, that, it was almost like a tunnel that went all the way around, but, but you could look through those pillars and you could see into that, into that uh, outer court. On Solomon's colonnade is where Peter and John met the, met the man who was lame and the, and the man said was holding out his hand to beg and Peter said to him, silver and gold have I none, but, as, but as whatever I have I'm going to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That was in Solomon's colonnade. In the book of Acts it tells us that many times the believers would, would meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Somewhere. Those, it, was, it was very wide and there was plenty of room. But what Paul is talking about here, the barrier of hostility that he's talking about here, is that, is that inner wall, that big courtyard outside that... You, you, I wish I had a pointer that I could, that I could show you, but... You see where the arrows are pointing into that, that inner area, the inner courts. That outer court was called the court of the Gentiles. When Herod built that temple, he put four different courts in there. The outer court, anybody was allowed into as long as they maintained reverence and civility. The only time someone wasn't allowed in that outer court was a woman who had just given birth and was still impure from her giving birth, or she was going through her monthly cycle and then she wasn't allowed in there. But normally women were allowed in that outer court. In the second court, Jewish men and women who were, who were purified and undefiled, they were allowed to go into the second court. In the third court, only Jewish men were allowed, and in the fourth area, only priests in their priestly vestments. So now you can imagine the Gentile people are allowed to come into this court, that outer court, the big area, but on that inner wall where the other courts were, and of course the tall part that's there is where the Holy of Holies was, that's where the the Ark of the Covenant was kept and only the high priest could go in there once a year. But that inner wall there around that smaller area, Gentiles were not allowed to go in there. As a matter of fact, Josephus, the, his, the Jewish historian, writes and says on the wall, on that interior wall, that smaller area, there were plaques that had been placed there warning people, don't go past here if you're a foreigner. As a matter of fact, they found one in 1871 in archaeological dig. They found one in Greek, and here's what it translates to. No foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade and the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. 
So anybody who was not Jewish, who went past the area where they were allowed to go, would be put to death. Now imagine, as a Gentile individual who may want to worship God, may want to have a relationship with God, may want to to seek to know who the God of Israel was, they were limited as to where they could go because there there was this barrier that kept them out. The consequences being death if they moved beyond. So now, Paul writes and he says, He himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. So Jesus dies on the cross and abolishes the very things in the law that make it impossible for Gentile people to become a part of his family. Jesus in his body on the cross takes away the very things that say we're better than you. You can't be a part of us. Matter of fact, the Bible says in Matthew 27 verses 50 to 51 and when Jesus is on the cross, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple, that curtain which divided the Holy of Holies from the rest of the the temple, that curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Thus signifying that everyone and anyone could enter into the presence of God. And Paul goes on and he says, his purpose, Jesus' purpose, was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. One of the hardest things for the Jewish people to come to terms with, even in the early church, was the idea that Gentile people were going to be able to come into the kingdom of God and be a part of God's family. Remember the struggle that Peter had? Peter was on his roof praying, and God let the the sheet come down from heaven. It was full of unclean animals, all sorts of animals, clean and unclean. He said to Peter, kill and eat. The Spirit said to him, kill and eat. Peter says, no, Lord, I've never... I've never partaken of anything unclean. And this happened a couple of more times. And finally, Peter understood, and later he understood when he was standing before Cornelius, the Roman centurion, he was standing before him, and God poured out His Spirit upon Cornelius and his family, and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, they received the same gift that we received. The gift of the Holy Spirit. God... God put His Holy... Can you imagine after centuries and centuries and centuries of only God speaking to the Jewish people 
of only having dealings with the Jewish people, of only the Jewish people hearing the Word of God. The Scriptures were only to the Jewish people. After hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, all of a sudden, God in His wisdom and in His grace pours out His Spirit on the Gentiles, and they too receive the same gift of the Holy Spirit that the Jews have had for that the Jews had experienced up since the day of Pentecost. Imagine, imagine the, the, what was going through the minds of the Jewish people as they heard Peter talk about this. And of course, out of that, then there were people who were going around all these places where the, where the Gentile believers were, were coming to Christ and they were saying to them, well, it's just really wonderful that you've come to Jesus. And so much of Paul's writing is to, is to put, put that aside and say, no, don't you understand? You weren't even saved. He's, he does that in Galatians. He says, even Abraham wasn't saved by circumcision. He uses the argument, he says to the people, he said, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and then he was circumcised. And he just tries to show them circumcision is nothing. It means nothing. Why? Because Jesus went to the cross and created in him one man out of two by which he put to death their hostility. There is no reason for hostility because everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, has to come to the cross, has to come to Christ, has to come to God through Jesus. We're all the same. Everyone is the same. In another place, Paul writes and he says, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no male, there's no female. We are all one in Christ. God has taken the dividing wall down between all of that. And he goes on and he says, He came and preached peace to you, you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. We all have the same Spirit. There's not a Spirit for the Jewish people and a Spirit for the Gentile people. It's all the same Spirit. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Jesus is the cornerstone that holds us all together. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Now, I want to say this. In, in this lesson, I realize that there's not a lot that you and I can learn about the hostilities 
in other words, we can't really relate to the hostilities that the Jewish people had for the Gentile people. As a matter of fact, if anything has happened, that whole process has reversed. And the Gentile people having hostilities toward the Jewish people. And the Bible says that there's a day coming when every nation will forsake Israel. Every nation, but not God. So there is... There is um, but here's what I want us to understand. We can relate to the hostilities that are going on in our nation, and we need to be agents of peace. We need to be agents of... I, boy, I hate to use this word. I hate this word. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. Because of what it entails in the world. But we need to be agents of inclusiveness. I hate that word, inclusiveness. I hate it. We need to be agents of brotherly love. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Because I, here's, here, the, the reason I hate the word inclusiveness is because of how the world interprets inclusiveness. The world interprets inclusiveness as condoning whatever's going on. We have to be inclusive and we have to condone what people are doing that is sinful. Why? Well, because we have to be inclusive. But what God is, God is not calling us to be inclusive in that way, but God is calling us to brotherly love. God is calling us to love one another, to, to love one another no matter we're male or female, no matter what our race or, or ethnicity or anything else is concerned, because God welcomes all people into his kingdom. He welcomes all people into his kingdom. And I was reminded of this, of this verse of Scripture, and that's why I, wanna, I, I brought it up. It's talking about a future time, but it's something that you and I, as Christians, as, as believers, we have, to let this, we have to let this work into our hearts and minds. Listen to what it says. It's Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked, and there before me, John is speaking, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every tribe, from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Can you picture that? Can you picture a crowd of people that he says no one could count? No one can count that high. That many people, nobody could count. And they're from every nation. Yeah. From Russia. Yeah, from China. Yeah, from Pakistan. Mm-hmm, Iraq's in there. Iran is in there too. Syria. Israel. America. Canada. Mexico. Cuba, absolutely. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes. Purity. 
They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Everyone was wearing white robes and everyone was holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They were together as one voice. They were crying out to God and they were rejoicing and they were giving glory to God because salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Imagine that. People from every tongue, every nation, every tribe, every language, every people, together, standing around. And you know what? I don't believe that the Chinese were standing over here, and the Russians were here, and the Americans were here, and, and over, here's, over here's the Cubans. All the white people are here. All the people of color are over here. I think we were just, it was just a mix. They were just all mixed together. Why? Because they had one common thing in mind, and that is that they were shouting and crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. They didn't, they didn't care who was standing next to them. Their focus was on the God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb who had provided them with salvation. And if there's a lesson that we can learn, there's a lesson that we can learn. It's that here on this earth, inside the body of Christ, there is no room for separation. There is no room for separation. The Apostle John, the same one who wrote this, wrote in his first epistle, 1 John. He said, if you say that you love God, and that is our greatest commandment. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That is the greatest commandment. If you say that you love God and you hate your brother, you are a liar. You're a liar. If you say you love your brother, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. The truth's not in you. How can you say that you love God who you've not seen, but you can't love the brother that you, that you do see? How can you say that you love God, but you hate one of His creation that has been made in His image? How do you do that? How do you make that work? You can't. It's impossible. You can't hate someone that's in the image of God and say, I love God. We were, last night we were, we were sitting around the table. My, my sisters are here, by the way. I, I didn't introduce them to you, but my sisters are here. My, my, you might have seen on Facebook my twin sisters holding my twin grandbabies. That was kind of cool. Um, but um, they're, they're my younger sisters by about nine years. Uh, but they've been here, and we were sitting around the table last night um, putting together a jigsaw puzzle. Blood was shooting out of my eyes. Um, um, I, I'm just not a puzzle person. And that's the second one they've put together since Thursday. Wednesday. They put a 
what was it, a thousand or two thousand, a thousand piece puzzle together, and then they started another one that's 1,500, okay? And, and of course, oh, honey, won't you come and help us? But anyway, we were sitting around the, we were sitting around the table last night, and we were, we were talking about another subject, but, but we began to talk about conflict. And, 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 and I said, you know, the Bible says that as much as lies within you, live at peace with all men. Okay? As much as lies within you, live at peace with all men. Now, you may run into someone in your life that simply doesn't want to live in peace with you. I see some of you smiling. Okay? You may find that there are, there are people who simply do not want to live at peace with you. And it may stem from, from any number of things. Not the least of which may be racism. That's what we're talking about. But that, that could be one of the causes. And no matter what you do... They're not going to like you. They're not going to want to be. They're not going to. It may be because of your Christian faith. It may be any number of things. They may not like the way you wear your hair, you know, or the fact that you, you know, other things. But anyway, the Bible says, "As much as lies within you." Now he's talking to Christians. He says, "As much as lies within you, you live peaceably with all men." Okay. Now that becomes doubly important when you have two when you have two Christian people. Because here, as much as lies within you, you live peaceably with all men. You, as much as lies within you, you live peaceably with all men. There cannot, listen to me, there can not be conflict between two Christian people that remains unresolved and expect God to bless either one of them. Why? Because, because the, there, the idea that there won't ever be conflict is just naive at best. But the idea that two Christian people who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that they love God, that they would remain at odds with one another when the Bible says, live at peace with all men as much as you can do. Because Jesus gave us these, these ways that, we, that we, get, we get past conflict. It's one of the hardest things in the world to do. It's one of the hardest things in the world to do. Jesus said, if you have a problem with somebody, are you ready? Go talk to them. Go talk to them. Not go talk to somebody else. Go talk to them. And when you do that, you give the other person, as a matter of fact, Jesus was telling him, he says, listen, he said, if you, go to the, if you go to the temple to pray and you bring your gift to the altar, and he said, and while you're at the altar, you remember that someone has something against you, don't just sit there and think that I'm going to listen to you while you give your gift to me. He says, you let your gift there. Get up and go find your brother that you have a conflict with. Straighten it out. Get over it. Get it taken care of. Then come back in, and then I'll accept your gift. 
There's no room in God's kingdom for conflict. There just isn't. And so, we as God's people, we love everybody. Because they're all made in the image of God. We don't have to condone what they do. But we have to love them. And especially when they're of the household of faith, they get, they get special privilege in our lives. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. It doesn't matter how they wear their hair. It doesn't matter any of those. We, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord because Jesus Himself, in His body, went to the cross and tore down every barrier that would keep us from loving our brothers and sisters. Every barrier. There's no room for that in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for tearing down the barriers of hostility. Thank you for... It doesn't matter what other people do. It doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what the world is doing. It doesn't matter what society is doing. In your kingdom, in, in your kingdom, you expect the people that follow you to take to heart the idea that you have torn down every wall and every barrier that would create hostility between people. And I pray today, Father, that each and every one of us in this room would let that truth burn in their hearts. And we would be, we would be a body that loves people for, because they've been made in Your image. Not because they conform to what we think they ought to be. We will be a better church and yours will be a better body when we realize that you nailed all of those things that cause hostility. You nailed them to your cross and removed them from our midst. Well, Father, today before we go, we just want to thank you and praise you for the ministries that you have allowed this church to be a part of. And we are so thankful that, that we get to count these ministries as important to us and to the well-being of this body. We, we, we thank you for our missionaries, for, for Todd and Shelley Marks. We thank you uh, for Chris Garris, uh, who will be with us in just a couple of weeks. Thank you for the for the great work that's being done in Thailand and in the Middle East. And we pray for them as they're all home here re, rejuvenating and refreshing and, and, uh, and, and seeking your face to how things will proceed from, from this point on. And we just thank you for each one. May you strengthen them and give them a clear sense of vision. We pray, Father, for the transitional center. And Lord, we just pray for in, in two weeks when we're, when we're there and we're handing out those, those bags to the girls. We'll have all the girls together 
And we know, Lord, that there are a, a good number of the girls there that have never professed faith in Christ. And we pray for each one of them. We pray, Lord, that right now you will prepare their hearts for that moment and that your Spirit will, will anoint all, the, all of the people that go there that will speak a word or as we sing the songs, Lord, that your Spirit will just be there in intensity to call people to the Father. We, we pray, Lord, for love serves and we just thank you for the good work that they are doing in the Dominican Republic for the thousands and thousands of souls that are coming to you because pastors and churches are coming alive and going out instead of collecting in. We pray for the EE prison ministry, Lord. We thank you for the many years that that ministry has been a part of this church, and we just, we just pray that you will continue to use Brother Art and his staff to just take the message of the gospel into prisons. And we just thank you for the lives that are being eternally transformed, eternally transformed by the ministry. And then for our daycare, Lord, we just, we just thank you for the staff and, and for the families that are a part of that and how families are just being touched by that ministry in, in just real positive ways. We just thank you. And now I just pray, Lord, you'll take us from this place. And as we go outside the walls of the church, I just pray, Lord, that we will be shining examples of Jesus living his life through us. In his name we pray. Amen.